Good morning. Good morning. I saw your website. Did you? Mm -hmm. Did you like it? It's okay. It's okay? You could do better? No. It's just okay. <laughs> Wednesday, we're feeding the homeless. If you want to go. Thank you. We'd have to miss school. Ooh, I'm down with that. The next women's study is Thursday, April 20th at 6 p.m. And you started the book Radical Prayer. Mm -hmm. Do you like it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the next men's study is Sunday, April 16th, 12.30. We have some scheduling conflicts. We changed it from Saturday to Sunday that week. Huh? Yeah, we're going to do it Sunday after church. What time? Starbucks. The next men's study. So some next of the, weekend? Some of the guys couldn't make it on Saturday. Next, <laughs> next weekend? Uh, yes, I would be next weekend. Then Thursday, April 13th is the next youth night. The men's retreat, the Did end of April, that? the last weekend of April, the 28th through the 30th. Get signed up. Rocky Mountain Calvary's website, events. We'll go back to the youth night. Okay, you're okay. You're good. Okay. You got the date. Men's retreat, marriage retreat. Last I checked, there were still some open spots. And then lastly, yes, you can check out the website. Did you see the calendar on the website? No. Oh, there's a calendar on there. Tells you what's going on too, or give me your email and I'll send you an email once a week and you'll know what's going on. Does that sound good? Do you want to be on the email list? Okay. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to understand more of who you are, how you um, just relate to us, how you love us, how you guide us in. Provide for us in all that we do. I just ask that you would lead us and guide us through this study. And that your words would be spoken here this morning, not mine. That you would um, just speak to our hearts. Meet each one of us right where we're at. You know exactly what we're going through. What we're thinking. And that you would meet us, that you would lead us, and that you would guide us. I thank you for all that you do for each one of us. But mostly, Jesus, I'm very thankful for your sacrifice on the cross. And I'm very thankful that you rose from the dead. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen. 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 So, last week when we left off, it was Garment Sunday, right? Was it Garment Sunday? <laughs> Don't more of the Gospels talk about garments, and only one of them talks about palms. So, Palm Sunday is what most people call it. But that was when Jesus came into Jerusalem, right? And then was the first thing he did? He went and cleaned out the church. He got all the money exchangers, all the people that um, were not there to worship God. He got them all out. Cleaned up the church. And every single day, what did he go do? He went in and taught. He taught in the church. Right? Then, come the end of the week, 
was what we would call like a Thursday night. He shared the Passover meal with his disciples. And before he did that, he washed their feet when they came in. So here you have the king of the universe, God, the creator of the universe, washing these men's feet, including Judas, who would betray him. So we talk about loving our enemies. Would you wash your enemy's feet? Would you serve them? That would be pretty hard, huh? But that's the example that Jesus set, right? And why do you think Jesus washed Judas's feet? Because he loved him, even though he was his enemy, even though he knew Judas would betray him, he still loved him, right? And he would give anything for Judas to change his heart towards him. So there's a place in the Old Testament when we talk about the Egyptians that have oppressed and put enslaved the Israelites. And Moses leads them out of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea. Have you heard that story? Have you heard that? Sure. They part the Red Sea? Oh, yeah. You've heard that story? Yeah. So they part the Red Sea. But in there, in all that time, God sends plagues trying to get Mero get Pharaoh to let his people go. <laughs> and, and, and in that time, we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And a lot of people have a hard time with that. But I would say to you that what Jesus did by humbling himself and washing the disciples' feet would have hardened Judas's heart too. So do you see how God can harden people's hearts? Did he do it intentionally? No, he did it to set an example and be loving. And Judas would have been upset by that because Judas, along with many of the other Jews at the time, wanted a conquering king, wanted someone to come in and free them from the Romans, right? And that's not what Jesus came to do. We've been over this. What did Jesus come to do? He came to save, not to judge, right? So he didn't come to judge. That'll come later. He came to save. And the way he saves is by serving them by loving them, sacrificing of himself for them. So that would have upset Judas. What kind of leader do I have? He's a weak, weak leader. I don't want this. You know, this would have hardened his heart even more to betray Jesus. So do you see how God can harden people's hearts? Not that he's mean and hardens hearts, but he did it, in this case, in a loving way. He served Judas, and that hardened Judas's heart, I would say to you. So after the Passover meal, Jesus goes out and prays with his disciples and he prays and says, God, please take this away from me. But not my will be done, but your will be done. And that's when Judas goes to the, the leaders and, and brings the, the, the leaders of the church um, along with their, um, their army, their men, um, that are going to come and arrest Jesus. And Judas points out who Jesus is. So while we may think that Jesus was very well known, his teachings were very well known, but he himself was not very popular. He needed someone to point him out. And the way Judas pointed him out was by kissing him on the cheek. The one that I kissed, greet with a kiss, which was not uncommon in that time, is the one that you should arrest. So he gets arrested. He goes to trial before the religious leaders that night and before Pilate the next day and they determined that the, they would crucify him. They'd kill him. So they beat him and crucified him and we will pick up the story right about there. 
So after he'd been crucified, after he died on the cross, and, and they knew that he was dead because oftentimes on the cross, they would die from suffocation. And they wanted to speed up this process so they would break their legs. So they broke the other two men's legs and they died by suffocating. You're hanging on the cross and the only way you can breathe is by pushing yourself up with your legs. So when you can't push yourself up anymore, you suffocate. It was a very painful and gruesome death. But when they came to Jesus, they determined he was already dead. So they stabbed him in the side and what came out of his lungs was blood and water. And they determined that he was dead. So we'll pick up the story from there, after he has died on the cross. And we're going to go through a few of the Gospels to get the whole rest of the story. We won't go through every detail, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 23. And we'll be in Luke, and then we'll jump between Luke and Matthew and John. So we have the four Gospels. These are the four writers that are giving accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels, and we're going to be in Luke. We're going to start off in Luke, chapter 23. This is my favorite part of history, just so you know. Oh yeah, this is cool. Yes, you got to pay attention. Way cool. So Luke, chapter 23, starting down in verse 53. This is after he died. So there's a man that went to Pilate. His name was Joseph of Arimathea, and he asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate said, you can have it. So we'll pick that up here in verse 53. Then he, meaning Joseph of Arimathea, took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as Sabbath was about to begin. So, in the Jewish culture, you had Sabbath, and we're told to keep the Sabbath holy. The Jews are to keep the Sabbath holy. So, Sabbath would have started on Friday night. Their new days, like our new day, starts at midnight. Well, their new days started at 6 p.m. So, Friday night at 6 p.m., that would have been the new day. That would have been the Sabbath day or what we'd consider Saturday. So, it's 6 p.m., so they had to hurry up and get all this done because on the Sabbath day they were supposed to rest, and that was um, important to them. God had asked them to do that, um, but then they took it to the extreme and turned it into a religion and became all these man-made rules and regulations um, that they've overdone it with. So, they wanted to get this done, get Jesus buried in the tomb, so they could rest by 6 p.m. by the time the Sabbath started. So, as his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. So the women that were there at the cross when Jesus was crucified went and they followed where they took his body. So they knew where the tomb was 
and they went home and prepared spices. That was something that they would have done often in that time um, to prepare the body for burial. But they didn't get the spices prepared in time before Sabbath started, so they rested. They didn't go to the tomb. So Jesus, in our thinking, has died at like 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. So that's day one. He's placed in the tomb, okay? Before the Sabbath day, before 6 p.m. So that's day one, okay? Make sense? With me so far? Okay. So, now the next day, for this part, we'll pick it up in Matthew. So when we get to read all the gospel accounts, we'll pick up pieces here and there for the whole story. We won't go over every detail because that would take us like three hours. But we'll just hit the highlights, okay? Sound good? We'll do the cliff notes. So we'll go to Matthew chapter 27, verses 62. So at this point, Jesus has died on the cross. They've taken him down. They've placed him in a tomb. The women have watched where the tomb is. They went home and prepared spices. And then everybody began to rest on the Sabbath day. So, so Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 62. So the next day on the Sabbath, so now we're, that's Saturday, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. So when they're supposed to be resting, they have all these rules and requirements that they've required the people to do. They're not going to follow themselves. They're going to Pilate to, to do what, they would be, what would be considered work. And they told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So it's pretty interesting that... Um, the leading priests and Pharisees remember what Jesus said, but his own disciples don't remember this. His own disciples have all walked away. They, they're thinking all kinds of things. The enemy is probably all throughout their thought lives thinking, oh yeah, he wasn't really the Messiah. You were deceived. You were wrong. You were misled. So they said in verse 64, so we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he raised from the dead. If that happens, we will be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. So the tomb was carved out of rock. We read that. And had a big stone rolled across it. And then they would have put a seal across. So they'd know if anyone moved the tomb. It would have been sealed. Probably stamped with the emperor's seal. And there were Roman guards placed in front of the tomb. Okay? Now these Roman guards aren't just like our Walmart security guard. These were Roman soldiers. They were professional soldiers. They got paid for this. They wouldn't abandon their posts. They wouldn't desert their posts. Because that would mean that they would be killed that they would themselves lose their lives so these were professional guards these were professional armed forces these were the roman army parts of the roman army so they've sealed the tomb and they have um, placed guards in front of it so 
That happened on Sabbath. So we Friday afternoon, Jesus died. He's placed in the tomb before 6 p.m. So that was the first day in the tomb, his first day of being dead. He would rise again on the third day. So day one was Friday in our terms. And then Saturday, the Sabbath, he's still in the tomb. They've sealed it, placed Roman guards in front of it. Um, and then we'll pick up what happened here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. So early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they all fell into a dead faint. So what happened to all the guards? They all fainted, right? They all got scared. So every time, we've been over this, but every time you read about an angel in the Bible appearing, they're not a Hallmark angel. Hallmark has definitely done a disservice here. They're not cute and, and little guys with wings. They um, almost always... When they come down and people see them, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. So if that's what they always have to say to people. They must look pretty intimidating and ferocious, right? <laughs> they must be pretty big. So they're not cute little angels with their wings. They're probably big and ferocious looking and very intimidating. Because the first thing they usually say is, do not be afraid. So people are obviously afraid when they appear, right? So... One of these angels appears and rolls this stone aside. And I can't help but think, you know, it probably took three or four men to roll the stone into place. And here he just probably pushes it aside with, you know, just one hand. Very easy for him. And that these guards were all so afraid, they all fainted. They all passed out. So, after that, we'll go back to Luke chapter 24 now. So these are all different accounts, and, and remember, we've been over this. You have four different accounts, and if every single account was exactly the same with all the same details, then that probably would lead you to think that that wasn't true, that these stories were orchestrated. Somebody got together and wrote them all down, but they're not. They have little different details here and there. People remembered things differently, different facts or different things that happened or looked at it from a different perspective. So we pick up little details all throughout. And I think that's why God gave us all four Gospels, so that we could have a very thorough picture of Jesus' life, of the things he taught, and of the things that took place. So, Luke chapter 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. So remember that Friday night, they prepared these spices, but then Sabbath came, so they rested, as God required. So here, they're being obedient to God while the religious leaders they're supposed to be leading are not because what they do on the Sabbath, they went and protested to Pilate that they need guards and they went and sealed the tomb and placed guards in front of it. And that clearly seems like work. So here these women are, are being obedient to God. They wait to go to the tomb until Sunday morning. So Jesus died on Friday afternoon. He's in the tomb all day sun Saturday. And here it is Sunday morning. I'd say... He was still in the tomb Sunday morning. 
So the earthquake came, rolled the stone aside, but the stone getting rolled aside was not so Jesus could leave. I would say to you, Jesus had already left the tomb by then. And he was in there Sunday morning for just a brief amount of time, and he had already left the tomb. There's no stone or anything that's going to keep Jesus, bound Jesus. He is God. He is omnipotent. That means he's everywhere at all times. Did you know that? He's everywhere at all times. Yes. So. So they took the spices. So Luke chapter 24, verse 2. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified. So again, what happens when these angels appear? The women are terrified. Okay? So they probably look pretty ferocious. They probably look fairly intimidating. They were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So remember the leading priests, the people that wanted to kill Jesus, they remembered what Jesus said, but his own disciples, the people that spent all the time with him, they didn't remember what he had said. And what did he say? He would rise again on the third day. So he died on Friday afternoon. He's buried in the tomb. He's in the tomb all day Saturday. He's in the tomb early Sunday morning, and he rises Sunday morning. He was in there for three days, right? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Makes sense? Yeah. So that's like kind of what a tomb would look like, carved out of rock um, with a stone that would roll in front of it and roll out but not a light stone. I mean, it would have taken a lot of force, like three or four men. Yes, you have a question? Mm -hmm. Okay. Wouldn't, like, if you had, if you were in a tomb, wouldn't you be able to push it over? I don't think so. I think that stone's pretty heavy. I don't think you're, I don't think you're bunching. Yeah, I think it's pretty thick. Okay. I had some highlighting. Like a couple, a couple feet thick. So. (laughs) (laughs) So. So, thank the The next place we're going to go is Luke chapter 1. But, back to what we just read. So, I love how they say, why are you looking for someone who is alive among the dead? So, Jesus is alive. He told them he would rise again on the third day. But they weren't paying attention. They weren't really listening to Jesus. They were hearing what they wanted to hear, right? Do you ever do that? Do you ever do that in church? Or when you read the Bible, you hear what you want to hear? But when you slow down and listen, then you can understand more of what God's saying to you, right? So the same for them. So they hearing what they want to hear. But Jesus rose from the dead, and the, this is the greatest news of all time. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. This is the only religion that has someone who is risen from the dead, who is alive, right? 
All the other religions have different things, different prophets, but no one has ever risen from the dead. So, which would separate Christianity, making it the one true religion. The one true religion that is worshiping the one true God. There is only one God, and he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God who has three distinct persons. Now, how that actually works, I don't know. It kind of blows your mind. And you probably won't understand of it this side of heaven. But that's what the Bible makes very clear. We serve a one God who is three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here the Son has sacrificed himself. Willing to be a sacrifice for our sins. Was died in the tomb for three days and has rose again. The greatest news of all time. But if you're paying attention, the greatest news of all time. And who does he tell it to first? Who's the first to hear it? The women. Right? So, if anyone gives you the impression that God doesn't value women, this is the greatest news of all human history. And who is the first to hear of it? The women. And I would say to you, the second greatest news of all human history takes place in Luke chapter 1. So, we'll read that. That's what we do. We go all around the Bible. Oh. I tried to warn you ahead of time so you'd have plenty of time to get there. I was there. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think, what the angel could mean. Well, it seems pretty simple what he meant. He probably meant exactly what he said. Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Doesn't seem confusing, does it? <laughs> but she's troubled and disturbed. Um, and what does he say? Don't be afraid. So again, an angel's appeared, and what do they say? Don't be afraid. So obviously they look pretty intimidating and something that you would be fearful of. Or something that would maybe scare you or intimidate you. Not a cute little hallmark angel. And again, we've been over this before too. We never read about a female angel. Only time we talk about an angel is male angels. So if we're just looking at what the Bible says, I don't think there's any such thing as a female angel. I think all angels are male. So what does he tell her? Do not be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his, of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. So this was the second greatest news of all time that the Messiah, that God would come and send his son to this earth. 
And the, the Israelites, the Jewish people would have been expecting this. This is all throughout the Old Testament. So the, the second greatest news that Jesus has come to the earth, who does he give that to? To a woman, right? So the greatest news of all time, that Jesus is risen from the dead and that Jesus is coming to this earth. And who is the first people to hear of it? The first person? And it is women. So if anyone gives you the impression that women are second-class citizens or not as important in God's eyes, that is absolutely untrue. The greatest news of all time, and God makes sure to tell the women first, not the men, but the women. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, some, there's some jokes, obvious jokes that could go in there. <laughs> so, But the greatest news of all time and it is told to the women first, right? Pretty amazing, isn't it? So where does God value women? And he values them very highly. Okay? So remember that. That's important. So going back to our account now, back in Luke 24... So back in Luke chapter 24, verse 9, So they, being the women, rushed back from the tomb to tell the eleven disciples that and everyone else what had happened. So who gets to share the greatest news of all time that Jesus is risen from the dead, that he's not dead, he didn't die, on the, he did, while he did die on the cross, he didn't stay dead because death couldn't hold him. And it's the women. The women get to hear this message and get to go share it with all the world. So verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Jonah, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe. So, yes, why do you think God told the women? Because the women had a better chance of believing, possibly, or more excited about it. We'll see. We'll continue reading on, though. But now we're going to jump over to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. So we're trying to go as best as we can in chronological order. All the events that have happened. Jesus dies on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea asks Pilate for the body. Joseph places it in a brand new tomb that was just carved out of stone. With a big stone in front of it that got rolled in front that you couldn't have pushed over that no one person could have moved. It would have taken multiple people. Or in this case, it took an angel to move it. Yes. So, John chapter 20. The women have made it to the tomb, but they don't find Jesus there. Instead, when they're in the tomb, there's two angels that tell them, why are you looking for someone who's alive among the dead? And they've run back. They've told the disciples about it. but The disciples think this is nonsense. So John chapter 20, verse 2. She, being Mary Magdalene, ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, the one whom Jesus loved. So John is the apostle. This is not John the Baptist. He writes the Gospel of John. He also writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also writes the book of Revelation. That's the John we're talking about, not John the Baptist. And oftentimes, John would not write his own name in the gospel account. So he'd refer to himself as the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. 
That's who he, how he referred to himself. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So she runs out of the tomb. She goes and she finds Peter and John and she tells them. I would say to you that they, the women found the other disciples first and then Mary went and found Peter and John, tells them about it. And how do they respond? Peter and the other disciple, meaning John, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So if you think that God doesn't have a sense of humor, this is in here for all time, for all eternity, for everyone to read that John is faster than Peter in a foot race, that he can outrun him, that he's a better cross-country runner than Peter. And that's in the gospel account for all time. When the greatest story of all time is being told, John is making it clear that he's faster than Peter. He's probably a little bit competitive. <laughs> so, so he, being John, stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go inside. Then, C- then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. So remember we read, before they put Jesus in the tomb, they wrapped him in linen cloth, right? And they placed him in a tomb. And the linen cloth is still there, but Jesus is not there. So while the cloth had, that had covered Jesus' head was folded up, lying apart from the other wrappings, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, meaning John, also went in. So they hear the news and they both take off running for the tomb. And John gets there first and he looks, but he doesn't go inside. And as soon as Peter gets there, he goes inside and they both see the linen cloth that Jesus was wrapped in lying there in the tomb, but Jesus isn't there. And then John finally goes inside the tomb also. So they're both inside the tomb at this point. When the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. So at that point, John finally believes Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. So the Old Testament made it clear that the Son of Man would be crucified and that he would rise from the dead over and over and over again, right? But when they're reading through it, they don't want to read it that way. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear what they want to hear and they want to hear that the Messiah is coming he's going to be a conquering king and he's going to rule over all these other nations and make Israel the greatest nation. That's what they want to hear, but that's not what the scriptures say. So when they, they would have taken their time to study through it and look through it with a loving God's eyes, not a conquering king's eyes, they would have seen it that way. And that's how we're supposed to look through it too, right? We can read through the Bible with this angry God view, that God is angry with people and he's waiting for us to screw up so he can strike us down. Or we can read through the Bible with the lens that God loves us very much. And he sent his one and only son to die for us. And then while there's things in the Bible that think, oh, that sounds like a harsh God. But when I slow down and I read through it, I can explain it through the eyes of a loving God. Kind of like the hardened of the hearts, where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But I'd say to you that God also hardened Judas's heart. And that the way he did that was by washing his feet. And that wasn't God's intent to harden his heart. But that was Judas's choice to harden his own heart. And God did that by loving him.
Does that make sense? So we'll continue on with the story. John chapter 20, verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. So the, the two disciples have gone home. They believed, they, they know that Jesus is God now, that he really did raise from the dead and they've gone home. But Mary's still at the tomb and she's standing outside and she's crying. So I'd say to you that when these two ran back to the tomb, Mary wasn't far behind. And while they go in and they see and they believe and now they've gone home, Mary's still at the tomb and she's crying. And she still isn't understanding what's going on. So Mary is standing, was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white robed angels one sitting at the head and the other sitting at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. This is interesting because this speaks of in the Old Testament, the tabernacle where they had the tabernacle and they had the two cherubim, the two angels that one sat at the one end of the the tabernacle, the other is the other and they're overlooking the the seat where, where Jesus would have sat. So, Just an interesting little tidbit there. So they said, Dear woman, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her, Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, Why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. So I would say to you at this point, Mary's been to the tomb, right? And she's already seen the angels, and they said, why are you looking for someone among the dead? And she runs back with the other women, and they go find some of Jesus' disciples, And they tell him, and they think this story sounds like nonsense. So Mary goes on and finds Peter and John, and they tell them, and they take off running. Mary follows behind them, right? Peter and John go into the tomb. John's faster, that's right. John, Peter go into the tomb. They see the landing cloth, and they finally believe. They finally believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they go back home. But Mary stays behind, and she's still troubled and puzzled, and she's still looking for his body. She's looking for his dead body. Because she has a plan, right? She wants to anoint this body. God, you need to fit the role that I want you to fit. And that's oftentimes not how it works in life. God doesn't fit the roles that we expect him to fit. But we should be looking for him to lead us and guide us to the roles that we're supposed to fit. The roles that we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live a life to serve him, not him serving us. Right? And I say to you at this point, Mary's still expecting God to fit her role. She wants to do... Um, her work to God, her love towards God, her serving God in her own way. And that's not what God had planned, right? Because he's not dead. So why are you looking for someone who's dead when they're alive? So anyways, we'll continue on. So she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. So I will do it. That's always a, a bad statement. I will go do this work for God. God clearly can't handle it without me. And that's never the case. God doesn't need us, doesn't need any one of us. He chooses to work through us, right? He chooses to work through us. He doesn't need us for his will to be accomplished. His will can be accomplished without us. 
but he chooses to work through us if we're willing to let him. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll continue on. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is the Hebrew word for teacher, which is something they would have often called him. Why? Because he was always teaching them, teaching them about God, teaching them about the purpose for their life, teaching them about how much God loves them, right? So she would have cried out, teacher. And he says, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have yet ascended to my father. But go, find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. She gave them this message. So, Jesus' first appearance after rising from the dead, and who's the first person he goes to? A woman. So again, the greatest news of all time, and who's the first one to hear of it? That he's alive in bodily form. They know that he's risen from the dead because he's no longer in the tomb, but he's alive in bodily form. Who's the first one to hear about that? A woman. So don't let anyone tell you that God doesn't value women very highly. I would also encourage you to go read through Proverbs chapter 31. Because I read about a woman there who um, is important who is the leader of her family. While the husband is also a leader, so is the wife, is to lead the family. So why is leadership so important? Because almost all of us will go on to have family of our own and children of our own, and we're supposed to lead them, right? Both the man and the woman. I also read in Proverbs 31 that this woman is a businesswoman buying fields and making decisions and organizing her household and and the servants that work in her household and So not just some stay-at-home wife, but a leader in her household, managing her household, managing a business. So just food for thought of how God values women. So we'll continue on with our story here, though. So that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. So, the first person he appears to is a woman. Then he goes and appears to the rest of them. And he says, look at my hands. Look at my side. Where they had stabbed him in the side, right? He is alive. He is alive in bodily form. The greatest news of all time, it goes to the women first, then to the men. Right? And that Jesus is alive. And that's what makes our faith. This is the one and true God. The only God that has come back from the dead. And why did Jesus come back from the dead? Because he lived a sinless, perfect life. And the penalty of sin is death. But when you live a sinless, perfect life, death has no hold over you. So he has defeated death. He's defeated sin. So because, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, our sins can be taken away. Before this, they had animal sacrifices. And the animal sacrifices, the blood of the animals, would cover up sins. They would cover up our sins. But Jesus' death on the cross removes our sins. And we've been over this, right? God removes it from our record when we ask for forgiveness. 
He doesn't bring it up again. He doesn't think of it. He truly forgives. That's the way we're to forgive others. We're to forgive and never bring it up again, right? Which is not easy to do. And with, I'd say without God is impossible. But with God, anything is possible. So when we're having trouble with our, in our life, we're having trouble with forgiveness, we can always go to God. God, can you help me to forgive this person? Never to bring it up again. To truly move on. God, can you help me to love my enemies? Not only love them and pray for them, but help me to serve them, to wash their feet. I would say to you, without God, that is impossible. But with God, anything is possible. And when we believe this, when we believe this gospel account, that Jesus came into this earth, born a virgin, lived a sinless life, but was crucified, was murdered on a cross for no reason, nothing that he has done. He died. But death couldn't hold him. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And he is alive today. And he is seated at the right hand of God. And when we believe that in our head, in our minds, and when we believe it in our hearts, because when we believe in our hearts, we want to live a changed life. We once lived a life this way, but now I live a life differently. I'm walking with God. I'm not walking against him anymore. We are truly saved. And when you are saved, you can never lose your salvation. God doesn't come into your life and then leave you when you screw up. No, God comes into your life and he stays there forever. Now we can screw up still, but we can always ask for forgiveness and repent. And there's a big difference between still sinning, making mistakes and willingly sinning. If I'm willingly willing to walk into a situation that I know is against God and I don't care, then I have a problem. I have a heart problem. But we're going to make mistakes So don't hold yourself to this perfect standard. There was only one person who was perfect, and that was Jesus. And even Paul is a very mature Christian in his life. The man that wrote the majority of the New Testament that we get to read still struggled with sin. And his sin was many different things, but he says, why do I do the things I hate? And he writes this late in his life as he's a mature believer still struggling with sin. But he's not willingly sinning. He's probably falling into it as a short temper at times or Whatever that is. Maybe he becomes a little prideful at times. And and is quick to ask for forgiveness. And when he does, when we do, God forgives us. We were always told that was a good sign of a mature believer. If I have to argue with God for a day, a week, a month, this really isn't that big a deal, God. Other people have done far worse than what I've done. This really isn't sin. You know, everybody else is doing it. Well... When I have to argue like that for a week before I'll ask for forgiveness or a month, I'm probably not a very mature believer. But when I'm willing to admit my sins quickly and come to God, the moment I speak them, God, forgive me. That was foolish. Please forgive me. I'm probably moving closer to becoming a more mature believer, right? And I'm not arguing with God anymore. Do you ever argue with your parents? Yes. Yeah. 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 And what does that that's probably a sign of being immature. Well, I am just saying. But when your parents, when you're less likely to argue with your parents and you're able to accept what they tell you, what is that a sign of? Becoming more mature. And it's the same as our relationship with God. When we argue with God less, we're becoming more mature. So, who is this message opened up to? Only a choice few? No, no, no. We read that Jesus, that God sent his one and only son, for the whole world, right? Everyone in this world has the opportunity to receive Jesus and live. And live a life of eternity, an eternal life in paradise with him. 
right? And how do we do that? We ask him into our lives. God, I believe, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I once lived a life apart from you, but I want to live a life with you. I will ask that you would forgive me for my sins and you would draw me closer to you. And if you pray something along those lines and you mean it, your life is changed, you are saved. End of story. So, with that, that's where we end today. Do you have any questions? No. Uh, here we read. Here we read that it was folded. That one was folded, and the other ones were placed aside. It doesn't specify if it was folded in this gospel account. The other cloths. Okay, so. I have to go back and, and then <clears throat> the other thing, just a comment is the. I think David talked about it like a long time ago that. If you think about when Jesus was born and what they wrapped him in when he was born, it was the same. It's linen cloth. The strips of, strips of cloth. Linen. Yep. Um, and that's exactly what he was wrapped in. When he was so he came into right? came into the world the same way that he left the world in strips of cloth. Fold the headpiece. That's a good. That's a good question. I don't know if I have a great answer for you, but I would say to you that it means that it's finished. That his work here on earth was finished. That he lived the sinless life. That he rose from the dead, and then it was done. So you had similar questions because I, I was wondering why the the where the linen cloth clothed to the head covered the head was separated from the rest. We could we could do a study on that. I thought it was cool because the movie that we went to the movie to watch, I forgot I forget what it's called. Yeah. That he washed their feet and I think yeah. Jesus, <laughs> yeah. Jesus resolution. Yeah. So I want the other comments I have and you guys are probably the age I would actually let you watch it. I didn't know the full account until you started reading the gospel was the passion. Super, super intense to watch. But it kind of goes through... Is that right? Mm -hmm. Am I saying the word right? Mm -hmm. The passion. Years and years. It came out years and years and years ago. Um, But it was a good... It was. I wish it would have been backwards a little bit. I watched that movie before I knew like this story. So the actual history of it. And then now, fast forward, now I can watch it and go, oh my gosh. Yeah. And my other comment was that we were talking about how we understand it right away. Well, not right away. More than pretty much right away. More than voice? Yeah. 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 It's okay. You think that's you think that's why God told the women first because they'd understand it easier. <laughs>
Maybe. Maybe. We do. Yeah. Because we're always like, we're, we're, we're like, okay, we got it. We're good. Let's do this. And then we're talking to them, and they're just like daydreaming. And then you're just like, okay, do you got it? And then they're like, no, what? Wait, what? It's literally what they do. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how God sees it. <laughs> and I think people oftentimes get caught up in, in their roles, right? Especially a man and a woman's role, husband and wife's role, this... Um, but I think you can see it in the God head. You have three in one. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I don't see them arguing. I don't see the Son telling the Father, well, why don't you sacrifice yourself? Why is it me? And I don't see the Holy Spirit saying, well, why don't I have a more important role than you two? And they all have their, per- their very important roles and their very distinct roles. And it's just the way that God set it up. It doesn't mean one is any greater than the other. They're all God. All equally God, but they all have different functions and different roles. And it's the same with the roles between men and women. It's not that one is any greater than the other, God views it that way, but that the, they have different roles. And it's just the way God set it up, right? Like for the man to lead the house, not because men are better leaders, that's just the way God set it up. But I also read that women have a very important role as well. I would encourage you to go read the Proverbs 31 and Actually, see, what it, well, see what it says about women. Yeah, she, I, was, I was peeking, she looked at, have you ever read that? Yeah, it just doesn't. It's not the the stereotypical. Oh, women should be housewives and do nothing else. You know, in Proverbs thirty one, she's running a business. It sounds to me like she's buying fields and and managing money and managing people and managing her household and she's working from early in the morning till late at night and she has a very important role. So, yeah. So, do you have another question? Or are you good? Oh, yeah, fine. Okay. It's just like anything in the Bible. When we look at the Bible and we read something, if we just read it quickly and make a quick judgment on the superficial what we just read, oftentimes we come to the wrong conclusion in who God is. So the people that come to this conclusion that, that God thinks as women as second-class humans is not true. And I'd say to you, the greatest news, we've been over this, you know, three things that Jesus would come to this earth and Jesus died and rose again, and then Jesus rose in bodily form. Those three things all went to women first before men. So if God viewed women as second-class citizens, he definitely wouldn't have told them first. He would have told the other men. He would have brought it to the men first so that the men could have, you know, told the world about it. But he brought it to the women so the women could tell the world about it. So, yeah. No, you're good. Anything else? Yes. No, actually, yes. Don't read really, it. No. Well, okay. <laughs> we'll do that after. Well, they have yeah. plans. Yeah. Yes. No, I know. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come and learn about more about who you are, about how much you love us, 
how you were willing to go to the cross for our sins, Jesus, and that you rose from the dead. And that when we believe that, we have eternal life with you in paradise, where there is no pain, no suffering, no gossiping, no backbiting, no lies, deceit, no evil, where it's perfect. And we look forward to that day. We look forward to the day that we get to spend all of eternity with you in your presence, learning more about you, being taught all throughout eternity who you are. I'm thankful for the work you do in each one of our lives. I ask you would just meet many people um, who are in need of healing or in need of work from you, that you would meet them right where they're at, that you would guide doctors, that you would watch over them, that you would bring healing to their bodies, that you would um, do a work that only you can do and that you should be glorified for and that we would be quick to give you that glory for all the works you do in our lives. We would recognize that of who you are, that you are our everything, our provider of everything, um, whether it's physical here on this earth or whether it's attributes that we have. You're our confidence, you're our strength, you're our endurance, you are our everything. I just ask that you would speak to each of our hearts this week. Lead us and guide us. Help us to be a light and a witness to you. Help us to tell people the good news about your resurrection, that you are God, eternal forever. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.